Of course, this uh, video is quoting right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and that's where we're going to turn this morning as we look at this uh, issue of time. And the title of this message is, A Time for Everything. There is a time for everything. Psalm 90 and verse 12 um, says this, Teach us, O God, to number our, our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so Moses reminds us um, that we live within the framework of time. And time is always moving on. Time is not something that you can stop. It's not something you get up and say, well, you know, I wish I had a few more hours for the day, and I'm going to increase the hours of my day. No, the seconds tick off in a very regular fashion, and time just marches on. And in light of that, we want to make wise decisions when it comes to our time here on earth. And this is what Solomon's going to talk about in chapter 3 in these first 15 verses. How do we make the most of our time in the time that has been allotted to us in this, in this life, in this world, whatever that is? As I uh, prayed out of the Psalm 139, we were reminded that God is the one who determines the length of our time here on earth. You're not going to stop that. You're not going to change that. God has already set that into motion. So how do we make the most out of out of our time. Now, most all of us have a calendar. Maybe you have one on your refrigerator. Maybe you have a physical calendar at work. Maybe you have one on your phone. If you have an iPhone, I'm sure that you have a calendar on that phone. And what we normally do is that we, we look at our week or our month and we fill up our calendar with activities, right? Things that we want to do. Maybe you have a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's a sporting event. Maybe it's an appointment with somebody else or you're going to a concert, whatever it might be, we tend to fill our calendars with all sorts of events, things we want to do, but we never really step back and think about time in terms like this. Not time in terms of what do I want to do, but time in terms of who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? I want you to think about your calendar in a different way. Rather than putting on your calendar all the events you want to attend or accomplish uh, who it is that you want to become. Because whatever is on your calendar really determines who and what you become. And, uh, and who, what you do and what you become is really the next season of your life. For example, if you want to be a person at the end of your life who says, you know what, uh, during the course of my life, I want to really know and love God, or I really want to be a great husband, I really want to be a great parent, or I, I really want to have a great family, or I really want to serve the Lord, or I really want to serve in my church, or I really want to do a, a great work, whatever it is that you do for a living, or I really want to get physically fit, I can almost assure you that if those things are not calendared in some form or fashion, then that will become nothing more than wishful thinking. You will reach the end of your time here on earth and think, man, I wish I'd grown close to the Lord. Man, I wish I had been a better father. I wish I'd been a better husband. I, I wish I'd been more physically fit. I wish I had, had done, you know, a greater work. I wish I, I wish, I wish, I wish. And so we tend to fill our calendar with things and events rather than who do I want to become? If I really want to become a, a great husband, then there, has, there are some things that better be on the calendar, right? I'd better schedule some time with my wife. 
I'd better schedule some date nights. I'd better schedule some vacation for time away, time alone. If I do not do those things, then time just slips on by, and before you know it, a month turns into a year, year, into 10 years, and 10 years, and 15 years, and now all of a sudden time has gone by, and none of those things have been actually accomplished. And so understanding and appreciating time is one of the keys to a life of wisdom, according to Solomon. So there are some things that I want to point out today in answering this question, which is on your outline. What, I, what am I going to do with time in relationship to my life? What am I going to do with time in relationship to my life? We don't want to get like Solomon at the end of your life and say, and look back, and you know what? I've wasted my life. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There is no value. Everything I did was like chasing the wind. It, it just got me nowhere. And I've wasted it all, and now it's all gone. But Solomon, at the end of his life, he does finally come to the realization that anything done apart from God is really without value, without meaning, without purpose, unless God's included in the journey with me. So I want us to understand today how God journeys with us through life and that our lives are kind of segmented into time frames. He calls seasons. There is a season for everything. There's a time for everything. So we'll read again what you heard on the video, just to kind of refresh our memories in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse one, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to uproot, to kill, to heal, to tear down, to build, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to scatter stones, to gather them, to embrace, and a time to refrain. A time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So, so what is Solomon saying? He gives you 14 couplets, 28 statements, and these are seasons. These are uh, 14 positive statements and 14 negative statements. All of these statements have a relationship to time. And in this relationship to time, in fact, he uses the word time 29 times, either as a word time or as a derivative of seasons, eternity, forever. And these three categories about time, all 28 of these couplets, all of them have a relationship with our body, our soul, and our spirit. For example, the very first two verses those seasons have to do with your body, how it affects your body. The, in verses uh, 4 through 5 has to do with your soul. The rest of them have to do with your spirit. So all of these seasons of life that you and I go through, they, they are coupled with, they are, they are bent around our, 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 our being, right? Spirit, soul, and body, who we are as a person, as a, as a whole. So I want us to look at this um, from the perspective of how does time relate to my life? Well, here's the first thing. You have to understand that, that life is about rhythms. There are rhythms in your life. There are seasons. There are times. And uh, you need to understand this because if you don't, um, we, we get really tripped up. So, for example, life is filled with seasons physically, right? God's created order, right? We have winter, 
like we're in now, uh, uh, spring, and then we have summer, and we have fall, winter again, and it's just an ongoing, continuous cycle. Over and over and over again, there are varying seasons. And one of the reasons why in the state of Ohio that we can, you know, embrace winter is because we know this season will not last forever, but we will give up over to spring. And spring is a time things grow and things come back to life. And then, you know, we, we get into summer and, and summer can be, you know, uh, very hot. It can be like we're sitting on the equator. Uh, and so that's another season. Then we move into fall and things begin to die down and the grass be- stops growing. Thank goodness for that. Uh, the trees, you know, they lose their leaves. And now we're back into the winter where it seems like everything is dead. Everything is dormant. And that's the seasons that we, we have. So in the creation, uh, there are seasons. And in your spiritual life, there are seasons in your life that God takes you through. So the key is to know what spiritual season you're in and then to respond accordingly. Because if not, you are going to work against the God-ordained rhythm in your life. For example, if I get up, you know, I, at my present house, I have one tree. <laughs> it's in my front yard, it's very small. My, my house that I lived in for 20 years had multiple trees, had fruit trees out in the backyard. Now, what if I went out to the fruit tree in the backyard in the dead of winter and said, fruit tree, I demand you produce fruit now. All right, that would be pretty stupid because you know in the wintertime, everything is, you know, is like it's dead, it's dormant. It's not gonna produce any fruit. Now, if I just wait through that season to the season of production, remember what Solomon said, there's a time to, uh, to plant and there's a time to reap, right? I, I can't reap without planting and I can't demand a fruit tree bear fruit out of its season. But this is kind of the way we approach our lives with God is that sometimes God has a see, us in a season, for example, of winter, where it seems like it's just barren. It seems like everything's dead. It seems like God is hidden. It seems like God's not speaking, that God's not moving, that God's not doing anything. And then we, in that season, we demand that God bring fruit in our lives at that moment in time, in that season in our life. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a season. There's no fruit bearing in this season. There will be fruit bearing coming in the future, but the fruit bearing is not going to happen right now. Now, if I demand something of God that he's not given me, what happens? You get frustrated. You get angry. And you begin to question, well, doesn't God love me? Doesn't God care about me? Or have I done something? And then we, we start looking at ourselves. And so there is a time to prepare the harvest. There is a time to reap the harvest. There's a time to prune, prune a branch, and there's a time to give it a break. And so you need to know what season it is and what you should be doing in that season. Because if you don't understand, oftentimes what happens is, is that whatever we did in the past season that seemed to work, we then try to do it in this next season, and then we expect it to work and give us the same results as it did back here, but all of a sudden it doesn't. And so that, just is a, that is a, a recipe for frustration in our lives. We all want to learn from our past experiences, but without wisdom, knowing what season you're in, you just do the same thing expecting the same results. This is why... We have what are called in different seasons of our lives, 
rites of passage. And uh, a rite of passage is just something that denotes that you're moving from one season in your life to another. So life is all about seasons, right? It's all about us growing up and uh, your life is changing. And as you move into a next season, now all of a sudden your, your roles may change, your responsibilities may change, your, uh, you, you are changing, for example, in rites of passage. Let's say, for example, um, like your, your mother uh, got pregnant, right? She wasn't married, she got married, and she gets pregnant, and so now she's moved into a new season, right? Empty nesters, and now all of a sudden there's going to be a child in her house, and so there's preparation for that, and people, you know, throw a, a, a party for her, a bri- not bridal, <laughs> a baby shower, and, and so they're giving her things that will help her in when this baby comes along, which is you, and so then all of a sudden you were born, and uh, every year there was a Another rite of passage, they celebrated your birthday, and it was, it was the one day of the year. It was all about you, and you loved it, right? We all love that. All about us, and so then uh, you move from, you know, being a, a toddler, to, you know, to being in grade school, and then into junior high and high school. There were rites of passage. You know, you got your driver's license, and you, you got to the point where you're able to vote, and then you get out of high school, graduation, big party for you. You either went to a job or you went to college, and then there was graduation from college. And so there was all these different seasons in your life, and as you pass from one season to the next, there is like a, a time of celebration. There's a time of saying, listen, you're moving now from childhood to adulthood, and now as an adult, you're going to be your role and your responsibilities are going to be changing because you are getting older and you're, you're having to fit, you know, take care of yourself. Now, what happens when somebody who is single gets married, but in their marriage relationship, they never, they never transfer to the next season of their life. They still try to be married and act like a single at the same time. And what I mean by that is like, you know, they're really not paying that much attention to their, their wife and they're spending an inordinate amount of time on playing videos and they can't make a decision. They, they always have to call mommy and have mommy make their appointments for them and borrow money from mommy and they've nearly never cut the apron strings from mommy and, and so they're living like they are single even though they are married. Do you think that's going to create a little friction in the, the relationship? When we don't move from one season, you know, there's one season, you know, I could get away with that because I was in that season of my life, but now that I've transferred into the next season, there means there has to be a growing up period, right? I have to take responsibility. I'm an adult now. I have a wife. I have a family. I have things I need to do to take care of them, but I still want to stay back in the other season. And uh, this gets, uh, you'd be, you would be amazed Probably, maybe not. The number of couples I counsel, and that's the key problem, is the husband never grew up. He never made that seasonal transition into adulthood. And one of the reasons that happens in a lot of guys' lives is because we really don't have a a firm set way that we transition that. You know, in the Jewish family, at, at age 13, they threw you a bar mitzvah. When you had your bar mitzvah as a male, man, you were an adult. You, you needed to act like an adult. You need to grow up in a, as an adult, do the things of an adult. We don't have that in America. And so is it at age 18? Is it age 21? Is it age 24? Is it age 28? Is it age, age 31? 
There, there's no set pattern there, and so oftentimes people fail to make that transition. I mean, how many times have I walked into Walmart and I see adults in pajama bottoms and slippers throwing temper tantrums? Now, the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I did childish things, but when I became an adult, I put away childish things. And so, just as this happens in our lives and the lives of people around us, we fail to make those transitions, those seasonal, we, we don't understand the rhythms of life because those, those, those re, uh, rhythms or those seasons are like a hinge on a door. And one season closes, the next season opens, and these are sacred moments when transitions should be happening in your life. Now, here's the second thing you want to know about the seasons, the rhythms of life, is that no season lasts forever, all right? No season lasts forever. You know, we, we live in Ohio, we get that. In the wintertime, when everything seems to be dormant and dead, when you are in the season of winter in your spiritual life and walk with God, and everything seems to be dormant and dead in your life, I can assure you that God is doing some of his deepest work within you. It's just like although the trees around us look as though they are dormant and dead, when spring comes, we all of a sudden understand they have been growing all winter long, and now that new growth comes out in the spring, and just the same in your walk with the Lord, when it seems like God is hidden, it seems like God doesn't care, and you're in this deep, dark valley, that the winter time, the winter season of your life, listen, God is doing a very, very deep work. And there will come the season where you will bear fruit from that work that was happening in the wintertime if you cooperate. And so Solomon says, man, this is, this is a challenge, right? Uh, because when you look at, look at this list, we don't get to pick what season we're in. I don't like that. I'm like, Lord, give me the 14 good things. Let's, let's skip all the 14 bad things, right? We want to pick the season, and we want to pick how the season's going to go, and we want to pick how God should do it. And so oftentimes when we get in this season of winter and, and things just aren't going well, we have a tendency to look at God through the lens of our pain, and then we as a result of trying to figure God out through the lens of our pain, we get a very distorted image of God. And Solomon would say to us, listen, there's going to be some hard stuff in your life. It's just going to happen. It's not because God's mad at you. not because God doesn't love you, doesn't care about you. That's just the cycle of life. People die. We have all buried loved ones at all various ages. And it's never the right time for somebody to die. Nobody goes, well, you know, nobody walks up to your parents and goes, you know, I think it's time for you to die. It's never the right time. I don't care how old they are or how young they may be. It's never the right time. But these are cycles that we go through. There are seasons that we have to endure. And the challenge we have is, why does God seem to make us go through these bad seasons? How many of you... Uh, have ever been around a person who has gotten everything they ever wanted all of their lives? Yeah, you know what they end up being? Spoiled brats, right? Other than that, they're okay. <laughs> As parents, we know you don't ever give 
your children everything they always want, everything at the moment they desire, because you understand if they don't have to struggle, if they don't have to earn, if they don't have to build and develop themselves, then you are hindering them for the future. You're literally putting them in a proverbial wheelchair because when they have to move out of the season of childhood into adulthood, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to act. They don't know where to, how to respond. And one of the things that God says to us as parents is that what we ought to be doing is training our children up in a way and parent them that our kids would be wise, that they would walk with God, that we would prepare them for life because we know they are going to be moving into a season of adulthood. And that's exactly what God is doing with us. I mean, gosh, when we were trying to parent our children, you know how it is. As, I mean, all right, so our youngest daughter, Marissa, wanted a new bike, okay? This bike was like a 10-speed. She was really too young for it. We're all driving home as, as a family. She's in the back seat crying, I want the 10 speed, I want the, you know, and she's just getting louder and louder and louder. And she was so angry. No, you're not gonna get the 10 speed. You can't have the 10 speed yet. You're not old enough for a 10 speed. I know you don't understand, but you can't have it yet. So when we got and pulled in the garage, she got out. She was so mad that she took the car door and she slammed it as hard as she could, but she forgot to take her finger out of the door. Lost that nail, did retain the finger. And so this is, this is the way we all are, even with God, right? We throw our little temper tantrums. And we're in this season of life, we don't like it, and, and we want what we want, and we want to remain and gain control of everything. You know, when Solomon got to the end of his life, you'll notice back in um, chapter 12, as a reminder, he says, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And here's what God's goal is. You and I are God's children. He's raising us. And here's what he's raising us to do, to fear God above man, to hear his voice above all the noise, and to follow his pathway no matter the cost. And so God will take you through rhythms and seasons of life as he is honing and sculpting you into that kind of person. And really, if parents, if we want to help change society, culture, then we raise our kids with such, you know, that, that same kind of mindset that, listen, uh, I, I want them to fear the Lord above man. I want them to hear his voice above the noise. I want to the, them to follow him regardless of the cost so that they're changing culture rather than culture is changing them. They're being the thermostat rather than being the thermometer. They're setting the temperature in the room in which they walk into. And this is what God's doing with us. And as a part of that process is we go through seasons. Some of them are joyful. Some of them are painful. But none of the seasons last forever. And even as a parent, you know, your children get in some different seasons in their lives. And you're thinking, mm, what happened to my child? You know, somebody stole their brain, left me with this kid. I don't, you know, I don't even recognize them anymore. And you know, when Marl and I, you know, have to sit down with couples and talk about, you know, 
things with children, we always say, listen, it's just a season, okay? It's just, it's not going to last forever. The season God has you in is not going to last forever, but you need to understand that he may have you in a season so that you are not fighting against what God is seeking to do in that season, but you're cooperating with him so that he can accomplish what it is he has set out to accomplish. Here brings us to the second point is you need then to embrace you need to embrace God's eternal work because that's what God is doing. If he's got you in a season, it's because he's doing a work within you. And it may bring, he may bring you to the spring where he's done a lot of work in the winter, and then you get to reap the fruit of what God did in the winter in the springtime, and life might be a little better, right? Life isn't so hard at that time. Life is going, seems to go in your way. Things aren't breaking down. I mean, relationships are good. I mean, everything just seems to be like, oh, it's, it's just like new, and it's fresh, and it's, it just seems to be going our way because you've come out of winter. A lot of times there is a work God is doing beneath the surface that no one else can see, but what God's doing is moving you from one season to the next. For example, people say all the time, you know, make New Year's resolution. I want to get healthy physically, or I want to lose weight, right? So these are popular New Year's resolutions. That's why they sell all kinds of fitness equipment and all kinds of diet plans in, in January because people have made these New Year's resolutions. The problem is that the worst day of you stating what it is you want to do is the second day because now you, have got, you, you, you got no motivation, right? Like the first day, it's great. Yeah, I went to the gym. It felt so good. You get up the second day. I'm so stinking sore. I can't really move. I can't get out of bed. So you don't have any motivation. Or you go on the diet and say, well, man, this is great. And then you second day, third day, and then all of a sudden you step on the scale. Nothing's happening. And, and there, there's nothing being lost. And, and so we lose motivation because we want everything to happen instantaneously. Right? I, I, I want to I go on the diet. And, you know, in the first month, I want to at least you know, lose five pounds or 10 pounds or whatever it is, or, uh, I, you know, I want to gain all this muscle. And, and so, because, you know, what use is it if I'm doing all this work and nobody else can see the benefits of it? I can't put it on Facebook. I can't tweet about it. I can't put it on Instagram because it just doesn't look good. Like, you know, I've been on a diet and people are like, didn't know. Didn't notice any difference. <laughs> I was in the gym last week and <laughs> so I... So I, I go to the rec center, and um, so there's basketball courts there, and there's these, you know, teenage kids always in there playing basketball, and I'm, I'm in the weight area and, <laughs> and lifting weights. And so these kids, they, you know, usually after they're done playing, they, they come down to the weight area, and they'll start pumping, you know, pumping weights. And so then, you know, after about 15 minutes of pumping weights, they get in front of the mirror, and they start flexing their, their muscles, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, do you think 15 minutes of... You know, pulling on a dumbbell is going to give you, and their arms are about that big around to begin with, and they're just like, they're flexing all over the place. And Why? Because we want instant results, don't we? We all want instant results. We live in an instant society. Now, here's the deal in this hard season. Look in verse um, 9. He says, what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom that God has done what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now notice what he says. 
Here's the deal with a hard season. Solomon says it's like a burden. It's like, um, it's like a drudgery. It's like a duty. It's like a demand. And he, and he says about this burden that he's, he's it's just like, a, what, what does the worker gain from his toil? I mean, think about this. Every single week, you, you do laundry, you do dishes, you, you, you cut your grass, you wash your cars, you, you do all this stuff every week, and you think, oh, it's all done. Now it's, it's done forever. No, it's not. Next week, you got more laundry and more food to cook and more dishes and more you know, repairs on the house and more grass to cut and which is why I love winter. Uh, but no, not really. Uh, but not at all. Uh, but Solomon said, it's this, this vicious cycle, and it's like a burden. I do this stuff week after week and month after month and year after year, and it's just always there. It never is completely done. As soon as it's done, it starts all over again, and that is the point, that life is never fully, completely, perfectly coming together. Notice he says he's, he's set eternity in our hearts. So in this season of embracing God's eternal work, there's a twofold thing that Solomon points out here, and that is he says he, he brings beauty out of ashes. He brings beauty out of ashes. In other words, he says he's making everything beautiful in its time. He didn't say everything was beautiful. He just said he's making everything beautiful. See, one of the popular verses that we quote when we're really struggling in life is Romans 8, 28. Um, people love to go to that verse. I was talking to somebody uh, the other night and who has uh, been diagnosed with cancer, and it's one of the first verses uh, the individual quoted to me, and it is that, you know, we know that all things work together for the good, God works it all together for the good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now, Paul didn't say all things are good. He just said that God can take ashes and turn them into beauty. God can take the hard things and make something out of it. That God can translate uh, what is difficult into something that can be fruitful later on in your life. And so the promise is that nothing in our lives is meaningless. Nothing in our lives is without value as far as God is concerned because he can use everything for his greater purpose in our lives. It's kind of like cross-stitching, you know. I, I don't know yet how many of you have cross-stitched, but I have some cross-stitch um, things that people have made me over the past. And the thing about cross-stitch, if you look underneath of it, it looks ugly, right? Like all these threads are going all of different direction. You can't make any sense of it. So remember what Solomon said, I'm living under the sun. I'm living under the cross stitch and it just doesn't make any sense because it just looks like a jumbled up mess and, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And in my heart, I want it to be perfect. I want it to be right, but it's just not. But above the sun, above the cross stitch, you look down on it, and then oh, you see this beautiful picture, a beautiful landscape, a beautiful picture that the cross stitch person who was doing this, uh, you know, they had, they've made this beautiful masterpiece. God says, this is what I'm doing with your life. Now, for those of you who are not cross stitchers, you might relate more to chocolate chip cookies. Now, chocolate, there are only six ingredients in chocolate chip cookies, right? Sugar, chocolate, 
flour, butter, eggs, and baking soda, right? You've heard this story. You, nobody says, you know, I, I, I want to eat some chocolate chip cookies and then just, you know, eats all the baking powder and then moves to the butter and then moves to the sugar. And no, 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 none of the ingredients by themselves, except maybe the chocolate chips, it's all bitter, right? It's just, you know, this is not good. But when you put it all together and you bake it and it comes out of the oven and it's piping hot and you have a nice cold glass of milk, you can eat your weight in those chocolate chip cookies. Because it's good. See, these are seasons. Every ingredient is a season and they may not be tasteful at the time, but, and it might be very bitter, but when it's coupled with something sweet, it can become a sweet season. And as you look back on those seasons, you can see where God has done a work beneath the surface that has forever changed your life. When my mother had her, her stroke, you know, there were some aspects of my life Probably God wanted to shave off. I'd share them all with you, but then you'd use them against me. But God, you know, there was a deep, deep, dark time in, in all that whole experience of trying to care for our mother. And, and, and you know, she lost her ability of, of movement. She lost her ability to speak. She lost her ability to read. She couldn't communicate well. It was a very frustrating time for her. And you're trying to figure out what it is she needs. And she can't communicate it. And she's frustrated. You're frustrated. And so it was just a very deep, dark time. But, but in the end, when that was all said and done, and I moved out of that season into the next season, I began to see what God, how God had formed and fashioned my heart with a whole lot more compassion than I'd ever had before for people in that situation. And that's what God took something that was, I would consider it ashes and made something beautiful out of it. And he says he places eternity in our hearts. Eternity speaks of perfection. Right, here's why we get so frustrated in this world, because we want heaven to be on earth. We want this world to be perfect like heaven is going to be perfect. We want people to be perfect like People are going to be perfect in heaven, and it's not that way, and it just absolutely frustrates the daylights out of us. We want God to take every hurt, every pain, to guard us from every bad thing that could ever happen in our lives because we want heaven on earth here in our lives because God has put eternity in our hearts, and our hearts are bent towards perfection, but the Bible says that will never be experienced until we actually enter into heaven. So in the meantime... As God is turning beauty out of ashes, we're just, our hearts are just so frustrated. And so the day that the doctor said it was cancer, the day the divorce papers arrived, the day that the child you know, was miscarried, it was not a beautiful day. It was not a beautiful time. It was not a beautiful season. And our hearts so struggle because we want perfection in this world. We don't want a divorce. We don't want a child to die. We don't want to lose our job. We don't want those things, but they happen. But God can take even the most painful events and make beauty out of ashes if we will allow him over time. And that's where faith comes in, right? When it looks so bad, 
If you look at God's word, God uses very bad and difficult things. He took Herod, a very vile, vicious king, and used Jesus like an axe in his hand and took his, tried, sought to take his life, couldn't take Jesus' life, but he killed other children, and, and Jesus off, all, you know, was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And all of these things that transpired and happened in Jesus' life that led to his crucifixion, people were used in those events, but God took something that was horrible and looked horrific and he brought something beautiful out of it the redemption of humanity and if we trust him and know him and what season we're in we can do our best to be obedient to our responsibilities i know that it's like looking at life through a cloudy foggy rainy day but we have to trust him he's doing an eternal work within you which brings us to number three is that we in the midst of all of this, we want to display, we want to display authentic joy. Oftentimes when God's doing his deep work within us, God seems to be hidden, especially in the winter seasons of our lives. And people say all the time, but pastor, it just seems like, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to walk with God in this season. I, I'm trying to draw and have, I, Lord, it just seems like God's hidden. He's not talking, he's not speaking. My prayers aren't reaching above the ceiling. It just seems to be a very lonely deserted time. I can assure you God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is still walking with you. But sometimes God hides himself for the, for the very fact of this, is that rather than most of the time when, when we're going through a difficult time, we're asking God to do what? Heal me, get me out of this, you know, and, and we're asking God for stuff. And what we have missed is that we are to seek God, we are to seek Christ for the purpose of seeking Christ, for the purpose of seeking our Heavenly Father. Not just what He gives to us, not just what he, the gifts that He has for us, but just to seek. Jesus is the pearl of great price. And so sometimes God seems to be hidden in the winter because God wants to get me to a place where I just seek Him and Him alone, and He's enough regardless of what's going on around me. And so, like most of us, we, as we are seeking, we, we make God promises, we bargain with him, we plead with him. And so here's, this brings us to the last point, is that because I can either get really frustrated with God Or I can reach up my hands in trust and worship and praise and adoration that my Heavenly Father is doing an eternal work and therefore I'm seeking Him and Him alone regardless of how things pan out, how it works out because really oftentimes we seek God for the purpose of what? We want things in our control. We want things to turn out the way we want them to turn out exactly as we want them to turn out in the timetable in which we want them to turn out and God just say, no, seek me. Just worship me. Just honor me. Just revere me. Just seek after my heart. And so the last then is that I display, I need to display authentic joy. Here's what he says in verse 12. I know that these, there is nothing better for men to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. 
And so when I understand that there are certain rhythms in my life, seasons in my life, and those seasons last forever, but in every season, God's doing an eternal work within me and within you, that he can bring beauty out of ashes, that God has, yes, set eternity in my heart. I want perfection. I desire for protection. For, uh, Perfection, I long for perfection just like you do, but that is not going to happen in this lifetime. There may be some moments, some very brief moments in which, yes, everything is hitting on all cylinders and everything is going well, but either you've you know, just gone through a problem or you're heading into one or one's on the horizon. And the fact of the matter is the question, can I, re- can I maintain my joy in the midst of the seasons in life? Do I only, does my joy ebb and flow with the season? Joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is my deep abiding trust in my heavenly father that yes, he is working all things together for my good and for God's glory in order to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ that I might display Jesus to the world around me. How do I maintain my joy in those moments and those seasons of my life? Number one is don't forfeit enjoyment because you cannot understand. Listen, we cannot understand all that God is doing, right? God is mysterious. God says there are some things that he leaves as a mystery. But what we often do is we demand God to give us answers. God, you have to answer my why question. Why is this happening? Why did that happen? God wants to know, are you willing to trust me, follow me, walk after me, and follow my pathways? Even you may, na- you may get an answer as to why in this lifetime. You may not get an answer till after this lifetime. But the question is, are you willing to trust him and follow and walk after him, even if he never says this is why? See, all I know is I'm trusting in God's word. I'm trusting in his promises that this season in my life is not something that is in vain. But God's doing something. God is molding. He's fashioning. Outside of getting married and the birth of our children, the most meaningful times in my life have been built around helping other people. This is kind of what Solomon points out. He says, man, you're going to go through seasons in your life And one of the ways that you maintain your joy is don't shut down when you're in a difficult season, which is what we want to do, right? We want to fold our tent, tuck away, cry, get depressed, eat, uh, you know, whatever else we do to comfort ourselves. And Solomon says, listen, there are going to be seasons like this. These are rhythms. God is working your life. He's doing something. Don't shut yourself down. Do not forfeit enjoyment in life because you don't understand what God's doing at that moment in time. And so if, if I derive some of my greatest pleasure out of serving others, then when I find myself in those difficult seasons, I just don't want to hang that up. I don't want to stop doing that. Most of you are like me. You, some of the greatest times you've ever had in life is to serve somebody other, outside of your family who has no ability to pay you back for what you've done. Bring some more joy and happiness in your life than, than a thousand other things that you could do. Because that's the way that God has wired us. We give ourselves away, which brings ultimate fulfillment to our lives. That's what our soul needs. Number two, don't forget to be thankful to, for the gifts that God has given you. Notice how he talks about eating and drinking. In the Hebrew co- culture, that was a part of celebration. It's what brought families and friends together. 
to remember God's goodness and his grace. It's no accident that the seven festivals that God gave Israel to celebrate every single year always involved a meal. You build some of the deepest, lasting relationships when you put your feet under somebody's table and you, sh you share a meal together. Now, I know in America, we want to choke down a meal as fast as we can and get on moving on to the next thing. But you go to another country, like, for example, when we went to Italy, you better be prepared for an hour and a half, two hours if you go into a restaurant because, uh, hey, uh, you know, we were in a restaurant and we haven't gotten served our food in 10 minutes. We're all complaining about, right? Why, why the heck's going to take us so long? I've been here for 10 minutes. What? Not them, because, see, we, they're all about friendship. They're all about the fellowship. It's all about let's spend some time together. Let's talk together. Let's have koinonia together. Let's fellowship together. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's help one another in the journey in life. And so this is the way God has, has set it all up. He says, listen, uh, most, some of you live under the paradigm that the world has happiness and joy, and God has rules and regulations. And you really want to go out and do the things of the world because that's where you think you're going to find happy, happiness and joy. And if you did, you know, but if you do, some of you learned, if you do, somebody taught you, if you break God's rules, then God's going to get real mad at you, judge you, and throw you into hell. All right, so there are a lot of people who have grown up under that paradigm that they've been taught in religion but they've never taught about the side of relationship because that's not God at all. And so fear restrains you. There's nothing better to be happy to eat and enjoy yourself and enjoy the gifts of God. God gave you those gifts to enjoy. And so I don't know about you, but I tend to be a person who, who looks back, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, or look forward, um, gonna do it, build it, conquer it. But then you miss the journey. Some of my greatest regrets in life have been that I've spent so much time regretting the past and planning for the future that I missed the present. And that's what God's getting at here. This is what we do. When we gather around a table, we gather around a meal, is that we focus on the present and we're building relationship and we're building joy and we're building um, just, it's, it's a happy thing, right? I, I love being around our, one of the things when our kids were growing up, we made sure that we always spent as much time around the table as we could. Now, here's the thing. Here's the perfection in your heart. The Bible says that one day when you and I leave this world and God brings this world to an end and that Jesus himself is going to host what's called the marriage supper of the lamb. Called a marriage what? Supper, which means there is food, which means there's no calories, which means there's no, you can eat as much as you want. You can have five desserts if you want to. I'm a diabetic. I think that's a great thing. I can have as many desserts as I want. And when all of God's bride is sitting around that table and Jesus the groom is serving that table and children who are in wheelchairs can throw those wheelchairs away and cancer patients can pull out their IVs. They don't need them anymore. And Zephaniah chapter three, it says that Jesus on that day, that he will sing over us. around a meal. Don't forget to be thankful. And last, don't fear life. Trust the heart of God. You can't change what God is doing. You can't skip it. God's going to take you through a season. He's going to take you through a season. 
You can kick and scream if you want. You can throw your temper tantrum, but he is going to take you through the season. And he's going to accomplish what it is he's seeking to accomplish if you will trust him and allow him to do what it is that he is seeking to do. So I want to close with this. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because here's what I want you to understand and see as we close out this message. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. During these difficult times in our lives, in these seasons, um, if you're living in fear, it's hard to trust, right? But if you'll trust God, and here's what I want you to trust in. I don't want you to trust in your power to garner strength in these difficult seasons of life. I want you to garner the ability to trust in what God says about this difficult season in your life. See, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was being questioned about his credentials as to being an authentic apostle. Now, Paul did not write back and say, well, let me tell you about the number of people I've led to Jesus, the number of churches I've planted, the number of Bible studies I've conducted. I mean, these are all the grand accomplishments that I have done, right? So this is what pastors do, right? If you're, you're, you're sending your resume to a committee from another church, they want to know all your accomplishments. They want to know how, where all your strengths are. Paul instead, he said, let me tell you how many times I've been shipwrecked, how many times I've been beaten, how many times I've been left for dead, how many times, and he just went through this whole litany in chapter 11 of all of his weaknesses, and Paul comes to the end of that chapter and says, now, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. He said, Paul, what the heck is that? Why would you boast about your weaknesses? Because he trusted in God's promise. What was God's promise? Chapter 12, verse 7. To keep me from being conceited of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And so we don't know what the thorn is. Some people think it was something physical, maybe emotional. We don't really know. Three times I pleaded the Lord, take it away, and God said what? Eh, no, not happening, right? In other words, I've got you in this season. You're going to remain in this season for now. And if I decide to take the season away, I'll take it away. But for now, you're in the season. Why? But God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So watch this, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, I want you to look at verse 8 9 very clear, uh, carefully. My grace is sufficient for you for my power, that that possessive pronoun, my, is not in the Greek, which means it could either be referring to Paul's power or God's power. And then he says, will be made perfect. And so that made perfect is better rendered as bring to an end, which is how it's used in most of the New Testament. And here's in essence what God is saying to Paul. He says, listen, my grace is going to be sufficient for you, Paul, because when your human power comes to the end of its rope, and you're just standing there in nothing but weakness, do not back down because that is when the power of Christ will be resting on you. It's not about your power. It's about my power. It's not about your will. It's about my will. And you see this pattern all through the scripture. 
our power must be limited so that God's power may come upon us and rest on us in a very powerful way. God's working not through human power, but through human weakness is the central theme. It was Abraham's age and Sarah's barrenness, their weakness that God brought forth a child through whom a nation was birthed. It was through um, Moses who could not speak eloquently and had all kinds of excuses as to why he could not go to Egypt and his weakness that God made him a very powerful individual who led Israel out of bondage. It was Gideon who was a very weak, timid man who God said, I'm calling you my mighty warrior to war against the Midianites. And God said this in Judges, so that Israel will not think it's her power that's giving you the victory over the Midianites. I'm going to take your 30,000 soldiers, I'm going to pare them down to 300 so that everybody knows it's not your power that's doing it, it's mine. So here's the point. No matter what season you're in, do not think that, oh, I have to be so strong. I have to be so powerful. I have to be this and that. No, it's in our weakness that the power of Christ rests upon us. That's why I don't fear. That's why I can trust in God. It doesn't matter what life does to me. It can lock me flat on my face because I know And that moment of weakness, the power of Jesus still rests on me. Take that to the bank and embrace it. Father, we thank you that in your um, paradox of strength and weakness, I'm the strongest when I am the weakest. I am the most usable when I am in over my head. Jesus is most present when I am at the end of my rope. And God, that is a a promise from you that we embrace. Lord, we don't understand the why behind all that you do and the way that you do it. But we do embrace the fact that, God, you are doing an an eternal work within us. And that while that work is being accomplished, We so, so thank you that we can continue to live in authentic joy in knowing, oh God, that you are doing just that, a work. And we know, oh God, that you are the one who has your hand upon the seasons. How the duration, how long, what seasons we're in. And so we thank you, Father, that it is not up to us. We just rest in you. Because, God, we want to revere you above everyone else. We want to hear your voice above all the noise. We want to follow your pathway no matter what the cost is. Because you are worth it. You are worth it in the end. And I pray for those, oh God, that need to embrace Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior this morning. That first beginning step of relationship with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to their hearts, that you'll draw them and nudge them towards Christ who died for them, who was buried and who was resurrected from the grave to display his power over sin and death. God, you've promised us new life in Jesus. I pray, oh God, that they would now this morning embrace Christ by faith as their Savior and Lord of their life. Oh, God, you would fill their heart with your Holy Spirit. Give them a new heart, oh, God. 
that will embrace Jesus and follow him for the rest of their lives. Father, I pray for those who are in very difficult seasons right now. Lord, who are struggling in their faith walk with you. I pray, oh God, that you will surround them with believers that will help hold them up and walk with them through that valley. God, we know you're walking with them, but Lord, I pray for flesh and blood to surround them and to walk with them also. God, we thank you for the fruitful seasons. We thank you for even in those moments where you seem to be hidden, God, we know that you're the most active. And so in those moments of weakness, we thank you and praise you, oh God, that you are our strength, that the strength of Jesus rests, he tabernacles over us and enables us to take that next step we never thought we could take, who enables us to journey through that valley we never thought we would get through until we reach the mountaintop and we see the fruit of all that you've done in our hearts and our lives. I pray this over every person here, every person watching online, in the mighty name of Christ, amen.